0: Let's pray before we turn to God's Word this morning, uh, Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray this morning that you would take your Word and that you would sow it in our minds, that you would sow it in our hearts, that you would sow it in our souls. You know the struggles that each of us have, our needs, our sins. You are the great shepherd, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus, you are the king and head of the church. Spirit, you indwell us and know what has our spirit astir. And so we pray that you would meet each of us individually as your sheep, that you would tend to our souls this morning, that you would speak to us as each of us have need, as only you would know. May you bless your word to our hearing. We commit our lives unto your hands. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This is the holy and word of God. And let us not grow weary of doing good, For in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. I we'll have three points for you this morning. We're going to look at the promise and the problem and then two pursuits that I want to grab two applications from in this text, the promise, the problem, the two pursuits. But since we're diving into the very end of Galatians here, Galatians chapter 6, we need to do a little bit of leading up to this and providing the context for these two verses that we're looking at this morning. Paul has just finished in chapter 5, as many of you know, speaking about the fruit of the Spirit and speaking about this is what marks the Christian. These are the fruit of the Spirit. He makes it clear that those who have been crucified with Christ have our flesh crucified along with its passions and along with its desires. And so, he says, we are to live by the Spirit. That's what he says in Chapter 5, verse 25, live by the Spirit. And he says that if we are living by the Spirit, he says we will, quote, keep in step with the Spirit. We will keep in step with the Spirit. Leah and I go for walks uh, together, uh, but earlier in our marriage, I found uh, our walks not to be incredibly fun or enjoyable. Leah has a way that if you go for a walk, it's really not a walk, it's like a half run is what it is. And so this created no small amount of marital conflict. We would go for a walk and no matter how fast I would go, she was always going one step faster and I'm trying to match her cadence and I'm trying to catch up and she's just always kind of pulling along. And so, to save our marital bliss, I issued a decree. When we go for walks, we go at my pace. Now, that's not because I'm the weaker link. It's principle. It's a walk. And if it's a walk, we're going to walk, not half run. And so, we go at my pace. Conforms to me. What Paul is saying is if we are raised with Christ, the Spirit sets the pace. We're to be in step with Him, with Him. What does that look like? Well, the context tells us that it is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul has just finished detailing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as Paul goes on in this passage, he is going to flesh out what it looks like for that fruit of the Spirit to be exemplified in our lives. He tells us some of those ways that the fruit is exemplified in our lives in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He says, being gentle with one another, bearing one another's burdens, possessing humility, generosity in supporting those who teach the Word, and then... In verses 7 and 8, he then gives an illustration. And he gives an illustration from the farming world. This is something that the crowd around him would have readily understood. Not many of us are farmers in this room. We have a couple. But we still understand the illustration. He says, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. If he sows to the flesh, you will reap what the flesh produces, Paul says. And what does the flesh produce? He says, corruption, that is, destruction, death. But, he says, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap what the Spirit produces. And what is that, Paul? He says, it is eternal life. If you sow seed to the Spirit, you reap what the Spirit produces. Now, Paul is not saying that by our works, we somehow merit eternal life. That's not what he's saying. Rather, what he is saying is that the evidence of our eternal life is this fruit that we produce, that we are sowing things according to the Spirit, and the fruit of those works becomes everlasting And what Paul is telling us makes perfect sense. You understand this. You know this just intuitively. If we sow to that which our flesh desires, that which gratifies us fleshly, earthly, we know that when this body dies, those things that we find that gratify our flesh, those earthly things, that they die too. They disappear. Jesus will say that, right? Don't store your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It gets destroyed, it deteriorates. But what Paul is saying is those things that are sown in the Spirit, those things that you do and step with the Spirit, those are everlasting. Those never fade, they never deteriorate, they never see destruction. They endure. This isn't always easy to believe. I think we can all recognize that as fleshly fallen sons of Adam, you and I, as foolish as it is, we buy into the lie of the world that says, the things that are immediately before you, that gratify the flesh, that is where good is at. And that is what will give you the most pleasure. And that is what is enduring. And that's what makes for a happy and good life. We fall into this trap over and over. But it doesn't grant the most pleasure here, and it doesn't last there. But I want you to listen to the promise that Paul makes in relation to this sin in verse 9. He says, We will reap in due season what we sow to the Spirit. That's a promise. All the sowing you do for the sake of the kingdom to the glory of God is never lost. Never. It doesn't disappear. We will reap in due season, he says. That means that all your efforts, all your energies, all the things that you expend, it isn't wasted. All your expectations aren't wasted as long as it is spiritual, aimed at the glory of God and motivated and praised to God. That, he says, you will reap in due season. It's a promise. He promises that to you. I want us this morning to think about that promise and think about what surrounds it in this passage. Paul has told us the promise, but then he highlights the problem that we face as we're dealing with that promise and then the pursuits that flow from it. Verses 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul gives us the problem here. He's already given us the promise. We know the promise, but there is the problem. He says, let us, he includes himself, let us not grow weary in doing good. Keep sowing in the Spirit. Keep doing good. Keep at it. Keep keeping in step with the Spirit. What you sow, you will reap. Do not give up. That's a promise. And there's an inference in that statement, isn't there? He says, let us not grow weary in doing this good. Let us not give up. Why say that unless there is the real problem of growing weary? of Just getting tired. And when that weariness sets in, then the temptation comes just to stop. Just to stop doing the good. I think about this past year and I think about how difficult it has been for all of us, some in common ways, some in different ways. And I think about the year that's ahead, and it could be equally difficult. Let's face reality. And what I think is, is I think our greatest foe is just weariness. The greatest foe is not one another. It's not COVID. It's not politics. It's just weariness. It's just tiredness. And when weariness is present, the temptation to stop is there. We are tempted to just stop doing the good. And you know this. We know this in every part of our being. There is that temptation to just stop when you're weary physically. When you go for a walk or a run and your muscles begin to ache and they they cry out, they're weary. What is it that they're crying out for? They're crying out for you just to stop. It's also true mentally. When I was in college, I used to love to go into the stacks in the library in the basement. I loved studying down there in the stacks because there was nobody I could be all by myself, and I could read, and I could read, and I could write, and I could write, and nobody would interrupt me. But you know what? I would stop. After a couple of hours, two or three hours, I would stop because I was just weary mentally. And so I would get up and go over to the history section and browse for a little bit and revive my spirits as we all do with history. And then I would go back, and I would study some more. And if it's true physically and it's true mentally, it's surely true emotionally, it is for sure true spiritually. Just get weary. And what is the response? Is that temptation to just stop? Why do we get weary spiritually? For many reasons. We see it in the great men and we see it in the great women of the faith that have preceded us. We could name a number of examples or a number of reasons. We see it in Abraham. Think of Abraham, this man that has been given this promise that he would have a child that uh, would come after him and all of these blessings that accompanied it and year after year and decade after decade goes by and he still doesn't have this child. There's a weariness, a weariness and feeling like it's just too hard to keep maintaining faith. You're tempted to stop. Moses was tempted to grow weary in doing good and stop as it seemed like. He was laboring alone. There was a kind of loneliness. He is pouring himself out for the nation of Israel. These people that he has led out of Egypt, he is sacrificing and sacrificing and loving on them and loving on them. And all they do is keep complaining against him. There's a weariness that can happen as you pour out your lives for the sake of others, and you feel like you're just giving and giving and giving to other people, and there's nobody reciprocating it. Sometimes you can just be a weariness that sets in, and you want to stop doing the good. Are tempted to stop? It's too hard. It's Lonely. Paul was tempted to grow weary and not seeing the fruit he thought he should see in the Corinthians who were still in need of milk when they should be on to solid food. There's discouragement, hardness, loneliness, discouragement. This is the problem growing weary of doing good, and we could name Dozens of others that often encroach upon our minds and upon our souls and upon our spirits that, that just start to create that weight of weariness, and all of a sudden we feel those walls begin to go up and that cry of just stop, emerges. Maybe we no longer quite persevere as we do and did in doing the good keeping in step with the Spirit, or at least not pursuing it with the zeal that we once did. Some of you are there spiritually this morning. You're just weary. Some of you have been in this place for a long time. You're weary. And you just don't pursue doing the good as you used to. Would you start with this in recovery? Would you remind yourself of the promise? Our God is a covenant-keeping God. He's a God that when He makes a promise, it is an iron-clad promise. And He says, when you sow to the Spirit, you shall reap. It's not loss. And so the first thing you do is you remind yourself of the goodness of our God and you remind remind yourself of His promise to you. You fight that weariness and that temptation to stop. There's a faith that continues to look to Christ even when things are hard or lonely or discouraging. Jesus tells a parable in Mark. Again, it's a farming illustration, but he talks about this farmer who goes out and he sows the seed. And then after he has sowed the seed, he goes into his house and he lays down and he falls asleep and he rests during the night. It's when he gets up in the morning that he walks out in the morning and there is a harvest awaiting him what a fool he would have been to to sow that seed and then stand there and expect to see it sprout immediately. It would have been foolish. It's equally foolish if he had gotten up during the middle of the night and in the middle of the darkness had gone out there in the darkness and had been discouraged because in the midst of the darkness he didn't see fruit from what he had sown. Darkness is an awful time to try and assess whether What you have sown is worth it. It's in the morning when there's light. And God promises that there's a morning. And everything that we have sown, every seed that we have sown to the Spirit, every good thing that we have done for the glory of Christ, that it will, it will be something we reap. So you remind yourself of that promise. And you keep going. I think about the pursuits this fall as a church as we head into our new year as a university church. I think about it in relation to these two verses. I'm thinking a lot this summer there are a lot of things that we could pursue together. What is it that we should pursue as a church together and I hope that we are, of course, pursuing Christ together. I hope that we are pursuing growing in our understanding and knowledge of the Scriptures together. I hope we are pursuing prayer together on our knees. We could go on along those lines. There were two that kept coming to my mind over these summer months as I was praying for us, two things that I want us to pursue together, fellowship and hospitality, Fellowship and hospitality. And they both seem more needed now in this season for all of us and for a watching world that we are seeking to minister to. These are two of the ways that we can produce the most fruit for the sake of the kingdom, I think, is by you and I exercising hospitality and by exercising fellowship with one another. And I believe they are both good applications of this text. Paul is speaking about sowing in the context of our entire lives. He's talking about those of us that are united with Christ and what it looks like to live in Christ and what it looks like to be in step with the Spirit of Christ. And so when he is talking about sowing seeds to the Spirit, he is talking about our entire lives. There will be some commentators that say, no, 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 what he's talking about is just your finances just your money, but the broader context is he is talking about our entire spiritual lives, that everything that we do, we are to do to good, and we are to do it for the good of everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. Let us not grow weary of doing good as we have opportunity, he says. Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So did you catch it? He's got two different groups of people in mind. As he's thinking about you and I walking by the Spirit and in step with the Spirit, and as we're thinking about doing good for the glory of Christ, he has two different groups of people in mind as he's thinking of it. Everyone and then the household of faith. Why everyone? Everyone. Because we are in this world. We're not to be of this world, but we are in this world. We desire the good of all, and so we seek to do good to everyone as we have opportunity. And each person we encounter is an opportunity. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what does the lawyer say that is standing there when Jesus says that? Oh, I got a question. Who's my neighbor? How, how, how broadly do I have to go here, Jesus? Remember, Jesus in response gives the parable, the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a man that's on the road, and he is beaten, and He's robbed and he is left for dead, and it is that unorthodox, ugly, defiled Samaritan that comes by and that ministers to this man in his hour of need. And then Jesus closes the entire parable with this Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Do good to everyone. Love your neighbor as you have opportunity. Now there are many ways that we could apply this truth. You and I, and in our individual Christian lives, we need to assess this. We need to do some hard inspection. Where is it that I am not doing good to everyone? Where is it that I can grow? But as a body, as I think about us as a church and as individuals in this church and us doing labor together for the glory of Christ in this community, I think maybe there is nothing we could better do as a church than exercise hospitality together as we seek to do good to everyone. One of the greatest ways Christians have exemplified love and done good to others over the centuries has been in the exercise of hospitality. It's no mistake that throughout the scriptures you have this constant kind of running theme throughout of seeing the saints exercise hospitality. Abraham will do it with the visitors under the terebinth tree. Joseph with his brothers in Egypt. Jesus with tax collectors. Priscilla and Aquila. Paul will go so far as to say, a man is only qualified to be an elder if he is hospitable. You have to be hospitable. We invite in the stranger the sojourner, the orphan, the odd, the strange, the maligned, the sinner, and we welcome them. This is one of the ways that we most shine forth our Christian faith in this world. And we welcome all of those people because we once were one of those people. We know. We know what it's like to be outside the family of God. Paul says you were alienated, you were hostile, you were enemies. He says you were sojourners. We know what it's like not to enjoy what you and I enjoy here as recipients of the hospitality of our Christ and His love. We experience something here that people out in the world are craving and dying for and they don't even know it. But when they come in here, they should realize it. God will say over and over things like this to the Israelites. Deuteronomy ten nineteen, 19, Love the stranger, for you were strangers in Egypt. You once were. Leviticus nineteen thirty four, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. We're told in Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4, Simply practice hospitality. And so we seek to do this in the love of Christ. When a visitor walks through those doors, it's how I often think about it, when they walk through those doors and maybe it's out there on the step or it's there in the foyer or it's when they get into this room, they should experience something totally different from us because we are the recipients of the greatest love that there is. And we are sowing to the Spirit. So we manifest the things of the Spirit, those who come into our midst. When they come in, it should be as if there is a foretaste of heaven when they enter our midst. But it's that uncommon. It isn't that we want to be different so that they are simply attracted to us. We're fools if our great aim is to have a bigger church or just be well thought of by the community around us because all of that fades. We want them to find us lovely so that they are forced to look at the loveliness of our God. We want them to find us uncommonly hospitable And they want to know why. Why are you like this? Ah, Let me tell you. Because I have such a great Christ that has welcomed me into the very family of God. We want to see men and women and children flood through those doors and come into this room and love to sit under the word of God to find out why these people believe what they believe that has so shaped their lives, that looks so different from everyone out there. These four weeks, we have an opportunity. I want you to join me in exercising hospitality doing good to everyone. There will be students that come through those doors. There will be international scholars. There will be staff and faculty. There will be families. And I want them to find you strange. Very strange. Will you fight the temptation to stop And will you pursue hospitality? Would you do some of those things that are just outside of most of our comfort zones to go across the room or to greet someone that you've never met before? To ask them a few questions, to even take them and say, you know what, I think you would like meeting someone else that you know in this church that you think would connect with them. Would you be so strange as... To ask for somebody's phone number and call them during the week and check on them. It'd be so strange as to put a roast in the crock pot one Sunday a month and then show up here and look for a visitor, and when you meet him that morning, invite him over for Sunday dinner. Do you exercise hospitality? This is an important year for us. Uh, Some of you are aware with the last couple of years with COVID, our Spartan Christian Fellowship, uh, we have not been able to reach freshmen because they aren't here. So in many ways, we're starting this ministry over, which requires all hands on deck, this entire church reaching out to students as they come. And here's the great benefit is every freshman and every sophomore at Michigan State University now has to live on campus in the dorm. Thank you, MSU. And that means that we have more and more opportunity. Would you exercise hospitality? Children, when there are families here and they have other kids, would you just go up and say hi to the other kids and introduce them to some of your friends? Exercise hospitality. Second, I want us together to pursue fellowship Paul says, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why? Especially those who are of the household of faith, because they are family. There's gradation here. Family are our nearest neighbors, and since family is our nearest neighbor, it is family that we are especially to show goodness towards and good towards those who are nearest to us. In some ways, this is a separate pursuit. In some ways, it's a unique pursuit, and the temptation to stop doing good to those that are part of our most intimate circle, our family, our family here as a church, it's even a greater temptation. It's a greater temptation because it's not too hard to love somebody from a distance. It's not too hard to be patient with a person that you never rub up against. It's not too hard to be kind to someone that that you don't have high expectations of, but in family, when family is together and you're close and you know one another, all of that gets tested and tried and all of that gets rubbed up against, and there are just problems. And there are times, if you stay long enough, that you hit a bump in the road and sometimes you fall into a ditch and you can hear the crying out and growing weary. Stop doing good, let's stop it. These people are just too much trouble. Do not grow weary in doing good, especially to those who are the household of faith. Some will just run to the next church when things get hard. There are many who are perpetual church hoppers because eventually, when you know people well enough, relationships run into these bumps and run into these ditches. And getting over that bump or getting over that ditch just feels too hard, but too often what happens is we are abandoning the field before we should. You see, the Lord is sanctifying you and I. One of the primary ways that He sanctifies you and I is by our relationships together and that they test one another and that it's trying and that we don't see eye to eye on everything. This is how He sanctifies us. And so many, the Lord is doing a work in their life and they abandon the field before He's done doing the work in their life because it's easier there. Growing in love has never been easy, yet it is always worth it and there will always be reaping, Paul is telling us. What you sow, you reap. That's a promise. And so can I ask you, would you pursue fellowship This fall. Fellowship with one another. So much of our communal life has been disrupted over this last year. We are in desperate need of it. You are in desperate need of it, whether you know it or not. Would you pursue fellowship? And others are in need of you pursuing fellowship with them. So would you refuse just to slip in and out that door on Sunday mornings? Would you refuse to do that? Would you refuse to just show up on Sunday mornings and check the box and feel like you've done your Christian part? Would you not simply live life casually? Would you maybe seek to be involved in a growth group to get to know one another, press into the lives of another, be diligent in seeking others out? What? what if you sought out a mentor, you sought out a friend outside of your circle? What if just 50% of this congregation, 50%, just 50%, each sought out one person to disciple and one person that was a friend outside of their circle? What would that dynamic be like? Intentional fellowship. It's not, so the ministries of the church run well or are full. Again, that's fleeting and passing, but so we fulfill our model, glorifying Christ and growing in grace. You can't glorify Christ and grow in grace individually. It happens in the body. But you examine some of the friendships you have in this church, And would you ask, are we actually pursuing fellowship? There's a difference, my friends. There's a difference between friendship and fellowship. Fellowship is centered upon Christ. It is where we are yoked together because we are united together in Christ. And being yoked together and united together in Christ, that then shapes this relationship unlike others. Here's a good test. Would you assess some of your friendships in this church? Would you think back? Think back over the last couple of times you've been together with friends. What has been the main topic of conversation? Has it been COVID or politics or sports or kids or school or has it been Christ? What do you really know about one another? Do you know what their desire in Christ is for this upcoming semester? Do you know, have you asked, what what is it that you want to grow in Christ in this semester so I can be praying for that for you? Do you know that? What sins are they wrestling with that they need you to speak into their lives and some accountability, and have you shared those with them? What delights them in Christ? Do you know that? What have they found the most recent delight in in Christ? Do you know that? That's fellowship. When when you're going through all the trials in your life and all the tribulations and you're sharing those as good friends do, that's a good thing to do. Does it stop there? Or do you do good to one another, a greater good? And not just say, you know what, I'll pray about that, but you actually stop and pray. Because you are in fellowship with one another and you know that Christ is in your midst and that is what has you together. And so as you're hearing these things, you can't help. This is your friendship. This is your fellowship. You're now going to go before Christ and pray together. How often are you praying with your friends? Is it fellowship? You desperately need it. I desperately need it. And all the people around you desperately need it. Would you pursue fellowship with me this fall? Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap. My friends, laboring for him is worth it. It is so worth it. And I know so many of you are so tired. He is our strength. When we are weak, He is strong. There is grace sufficient. Don't give up. Oh, please don't give up. Keep doing good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. And let's do that together. A little hospitality and a little fellowship can go a long ways. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are a God of goodness and you have shed that goodness upon us in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and by the Holy Spirit. We pray that that goodness would well up within us and it would shine forth and shower those around us. We pray that you would help us in our weariness to find that you are uplifting our arms you are giving strength to our spirits, and we continue to fight the good fight of faith. And we pray, Lord, that you would do mighty things in our midst this fall, that you would use us in the lives of one another, that we would grow as a church in faith and faithfulness, that we would grow in our ministry to one another, and that we would see a bountiful harvest especially among the university students and international scholars and faculty and staff and also families here in the Lansing, East Lansing area. Would you use us for your glory and for your praise? We pray all of this in the strong name of Christ Jesus, our good shepherd. Amen.